Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is Why Is That, the podcast. Dummy. Hi, dummy. How did you get that cap on your head? You heard it. Hey. Hey. What are you doing out of the corner? You know what you did. Welcome back to Why Is That Podcast. Before we begin today's show, I wanted to advise all of you that two weeks ago I published an article that ranks my 42 favorite ongoing history podcasts. If you're looking for new shows with my stamp of approval, I would definitely recommend checking it out and giving a few a listen. The list is on the show's website at whyisthatpodcast.blogspot.com. I have provided a link in the show notes for your convenience. I would like to think that our modern pedagogy, which comes from the Greek pados meaning child and ago meaning to lead, forming to lead a child and referring to the theory and practice of education, has evolved and developed to a pretty good point. It is far from perfect, but I would like to think it is far better than it was in the days when it was common to beat or humiliate a student for struggling with a concept or disrupting a class. That said, the era of humiliation and punishment has left a long tradition that has long seeped into our popular culture. We are likely all familiar with calling someone who is a dullard or stupid a dunce, and with the practice of placing a dunce cap on a student for doing something stupid before forcing the student to sit in the corner for the duration of the lesson. As far as I can tell, this practice has fallen completely out of use in today's classroom, but we still see it used in cartoons and movies. That brings us to the subject of today's episode. We are going to dive into the origin of the word dunce and find out why it is that we used a dunce cap for public humiliation. The Encyclopedia Britannica has a very large section dedicated to the subject of Western philosophy. It is a very fascinating entry, but the piece that concerns us is the introduction to the late Middle Ages. I have quoted it here. In the late Middle Ages, earlier ways of philosophizing were continued and formalized into distinct schools of thought. In the Dominican order, Thomism, the theological and philosophical system of Thomas Aquinas, was made the official teaching, though the Dominicans did not always adhere to it rigorously. Averroism, cultivated by philosophers such as John of Jandun, circa 1286 to 1328, remained a significant, though sterile, movement into the Renaissance. In the Franciscan order, John Duns Scotus, circa 1266 to 1308, and William of Ockham, circa 1285 to circa 1347, developed new styles of theology and philosophy that vied with Thomism throughout the late Middle Ages. That introduction might have been potentially confusing without the context of the preceding entry, but the largest takeaway is that the biggest names in late Middle Ages Western philosophy were Thomas Aquinas, John of Jandun, John Duns Scotus, and William of Ockham. For the modern audience, Thomas Aquinas has had the largest legacy and is the most famous of the four. There is even a University of St. Thomas in Minnesota where I took Latin, but that is not really relevant to our story. Instead, we are going to focus on the last two mentioned, John Duns Scotus and William of Ockham. The reason I introduced these two with this quote is to provide context for the influence the two had on the late Middle Ages and the subsequent generations by noting their mention alongside one of the biggest philosopher-theologians in the history of the Christian Church. Both Scotus and Occam were members of the Franciscan Order. The Order of Friars Minor was founded by St. Francis of Assisi in 1209 under Pope Innocent III. The Order of Friars Minor was one of the Catholic orders established by Francis that would come to be known as the Franciscan Orders. The members vowed to spend their lives in poverty, preaching the word of God. The Franciscans remain one of the largest Catholic orders in the world and has been one of the most influential in the church since its founding. 
The purpose for me highlighting William of Ockham is for two reasons. One, he grew to prominence after the early and unexpected death of John Dunn Scotus, and Ockham's teachings inspired followers known as the Ockhamists, who will be the main rivals to the Scotists inside the Franciscan order. And two, William of Ockham is the namesake of Ockham's Razor. Ockham's Razor is often paraphrased in the media as the simplest solution is most likely the right one. While that is the common quote that goes along with Occam's Razor, it is actually not accurate. Occam's Razor is not used to eliminate competing theories. For instance, if you are trying to solve a murder and you have two suspects, Occam's Razor would not allow you to eliminate one of the suspects simply because it would have been a simpler solution to have suspect A instead of suspect B. Occam's Razor instead is used when multiple hypotheses all present the same prediction. The theory holds that one must select the hypothesis with the fewest assumptions as simplification allows for an easier attempt to replicate the results, which is better science. Anyways, Occam's Razor is named after William of Occam, an early 14th century philosopher-theologian. Our main character for today's subject, though, is John Dunn Scotus, potentially named Johannes instead of John, but more commonly known as Duns or Dunn Scotus. Relatively little, compared to the other great medieval philosophers, is known of the personal life of Duns Scotus, and almost all of what we do know has been discovered in the past hundred or so years. He was born somewhere around 1266 in Duns, Scotland. An English translation of the inscription on his sarcophagus reads, Scotland brought me forth, England sustained me, France taught me, Cologne holds me. It is believed that Duns would have joined the Franciscans around his 25th birthday and would have learned of St. Francis's teachings as a novice. We postulate he was born around 1266 as there is record of his ordination on March 17, 1291, and the minimum age for receiving holy orders was 25. From there, it is known that he studied at Cambridge, Oxford, and the University of Paris before becoming a professor in Cologne. In his life, he became one of the leading, though controversial, scholars of the day. He held great influence with his students and inside the Franciscan order, but in many ways he is most famous for the course his scholarship and followers took following his death. Duns was appointed to the position of professor at the Franciscan Studium in Cologne in 1307. Reports indicate that this was an unexpected appointment and may have been done to get Duns out of Paris for his own safety. His controversial stance that Mary need never have contracted original sin may have endangered his life. Dunn's claim for Mary's Immaculate Conception was argued to be in opposition to the church doctrine of Christ's universal redemption. The Immaculate Conception of Mary had long been a subject of debate by church leaders and Dunn's claims and supportive argument is often cited as the turning point in the doctrine. The Immaculate Conception would eventually become Catholic dogma in 1854 under Pope Pius IX. The Immaculate Conception is primarily a Roman Catholic belief and is not supported by all Christian denominations. Dunn's work on the Immaculate Conception is perhaps the most substantial part of his legacy and is one of the reasons that schools formed after his death to continue his work. In addition to his claim in regards to the Immaculate Conceptions, he is known for his complex argument used to prove the existence of God, a theory that existence is the most abstract concept we have, and the univocity of being that holds that the words we use to describe the properties of God mean the same thing when applied to people. These arguments and reasoning behind them are all quite complex and do not really relate to the topic of today's episode. That said, if you are interested in philosophy and theology, then it is definitely worth further inspection. 
In the 14th century world that Duns Scotus's work was published, the main controversies in the philosophical realm were between the realists and nominalists, and between the Franciscans and the Dominicans. Dunn's work was firmly in the realist and Franciscan camps. On November 8, 1308, Dunn's unexpectedly passed away while serving as a professor in Cologne. Dunn Scotus left multiple works unfinished at the time of his death. His top students found his unfinished works and were inspired to publish them anyways, even though they were imperfect. This also saw work of different scholars of the time falsely attributed to Scotus or accidentally published in his name by students who thought the work was his. This has made it difficult to verify all positions held by Scotish on the important issues of the time, but several scholars have worked hard to analyze the text to determine whether he wrote the unconfirmed works by comparing the beliefs and writing styles to the works we know for certain belong to Dun Scotus. After his death, his students worked tirelessly to publish his works and to share his teachings. The followers of his thought formed a school of thought known as the Scotus, and soon they would become the main school and philosophy of the later Franciscan school. The teachings of the Scotus conflicted with that of the Thomas, and the two soon became the two largest schools of thought in the Catholic Church. Dun Scotus was a fairly large name during his lifetime, and the students that immediately followed him were definitely forces for change in the immediate aftermath of his death but most of the impact of the church by the Scotus did not manifest until almost 200 years after the death of Don Scotus. The controversial nature of some of Dunn's largest works took time to establish itself as a main form of thought, but by the late 15th or early 16th century, it was firmly in place. From the 16th to 18th century, Dun Scotus's following among Catholic theologians rivaled that of Thomas Aquinas, and in the 17th century outnumbered that of all other schools combined. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception of Mary as proposed by Duns won recognition in this time and as mentioned in 1854, Pope Pius IX declared it to be doctrine. The influence of Scotus persists to this day as Pope John Paul II beatified Duns Scotus in 1993 and set the stage for him to potentially become a saint someday. You will, however, notice that in our last paragraph I specifically said among Catholic theologians and further mentioned his acceptance by Roman Catholic popes. His reputation in England is not as rosy. The shift in the public perception of Duns in England started with the Protestant Reformation. As mentioned, the Immaculate Conception has not received widespread acceptance in non-Roman Catholic Christian denominations. The Anglican Church and the Church of England specifically do not recognize the Immaculate Conception of Mary as doctrine. Duns' strong defense of the papacy against the divine rights of kings also made him unpopular with the English reformers of the 16th century, and his school's strong stance in realism also fell out of style in the post-Reformation English society. The conflict between the Protestant reformers and the Catholics was one that would see the Scotus firmly on the wrong side of a changing tide in England. The English reformers started to refer to the Scotus derisively. The arguments of the namesake were mocked as outdated, and anyone who continued to follow the Scotus were thought of as dullards who could not grip these scholastic concepts and changes that were being proved all around them. In short, the Scotus were stupid, disruptive, and could not keep up with the real scholars. While we have thus far referred to the school that was inspired by Dun Scotus as the Scotists, in England it was more common to refer to these people as the Dunsmen. After the Dunsmen lost the respect of the English scholastic community, the leaders of that community started to refer to anyone who was slow to grasp a scholastic concept as a Dunsman as a further insult to the Scotists. Over time, it became easier to refer to the Dunsmen as Dunces, which was a pluralized form of Duns's name. 
The dunce insult spread outside academia and soon became a regular insult to refer to a stupid person. The close connection between the SCOTUS and the scholastic community inspired the insult to specifically relate to dullards in a scholastic setting. This is the origin of the dunce as an insult to unruly students and ones who are slow to pick up a new concept. Kind of ironic that a man who earned a master's from the University of Oxford and published some of the most influential works of the 14th century would have his name associated with a stupid person who is slow at learning. Though in that sense I suppose it is not that different from the way we refer to a person who has done something stupid as Einstein. The famous dunce cat may also be tied to Duns Scotus and the Scotists. The story goes that the dunce cap was inspired by the hat worn by Duns Scotus and the Scotus who followed him. If you perform a Google image search, you will find that Duns Scotus is usually depicted wearing a silly looking hat. But this hat is not made of paper or in the shape of a cone. It has some similar properties to the cone in that it rises from the head, but instead of going to a point, the hat has a rounded top. The official reason that Duns wore such a hat is that it helped him think. The shape of the hat helped him funnel his thoughts into his brain. Pretty strange explanation, but the Scotus apparently continued the tradition and wore similar hats. When the English started to make fun of the Dunsmen for being stupid, they also mocked the hats that they wore. Over time, making someone wear the stupid looking hat seemed like a great way to further publicly humiliate them in addition to calling them names. It is unknown why the Dunce cap changed shape from the hat that Duns wore, but perhaps it was easier to make a cheap hat out of paper, and the easiest way to form a paper hat is to roll it into a cone-shaped hat. In this theory, it would be more important that Duns wore a hat, so a dunce should also wear a hat. The ease of making the hat was more important than the accuracy of the shape. The problem with this theory is that we find the word dunce to enter the English lexicon a hundred or more years prior to that of dunce cap. This makes us think that the dunce cap developed later, and therefore it is more difficult for the connection of dunce hat to the dunce cap. The pointed or conical hat has a long history that far outdates the Scotists. The pointed hats have been fashionable accessories for thousands of years, all the way back to the Indo-Europeans and several other ancient peoples that did not have any contact with them. In the Bronze Age, golden conical hats were used by the priesthood as a ceremonial accessory. The tradition of ceremonial use of the pointed hat and a separate tradition of magical type wearing pointed hats in the ancient world is where we get our lasting image of witches and wizards with pointed hats. It is believed that the dunce hat comes from a more recent tradition rooted in the Catholic Church. The flagellants were a group of Catholics who practiced an extreme version of the mortification of the flesh with the goal of ridding oneself of their sinful nature. The primary method used by this group was to whip oneself with various instruments, often in public. It became common for the flagellants to cover their faces during the ritual whippings. It is unknown exactly why they covered their faces, but the order from Pope Clement VI that the flagellants could perform penance only under the control of the church is often cited as one of the reasons. Whatever the reason, the face mask came to be an essential piece of the ritual. The flagellants became particularly prevalent in Spain and Italy. In Spain, the simple mask grew into a ritualistic mask and hat known as the capriote. The capriote is a mask and hat that is still in use today in Spain by Catholic orders during Holy Week and is an inspiration of the KKK's hat and mask. The capriote came to represent a symbol of shame and sin. 
wearing one and whipping oneself was a way to cleanse the body of sin. The Spanish Inquisition chose to further develop this concept of self-mortification into one of public humiliation for crimes against the church. The capriati was modified to only incorporate the pointed hat. The pointed hats were made from paper so that the inquisitors could mark the hat with a word or letter that advertised the sin or crime that was committed by the wearer. The use of the capriate was prescribed by the Holy Office of the Inquisition. The order forced the men and women who were arrested to march through the street, often on the way to their execution, with a large paper cone hat on their heads with their crimes spelled out for all to see. It was a combination of punishment and public humiliation. It was mortifying for the wearer, but also a reminder to the crowd not to sin. If you picture a dunce cap, it is a paper conical hat with the word dunce written on it. Alternatively, it may just depict the letter D standing for dunce. The hat is forced to be worn by the student who is behaving like a dunce. It is used as a form of public humiliation and as a way to inhibit the misbehavior of the other students. Between the two explanations of the dunce cap, the similarities seem to be more prevalent in the capriate than the hat worn by dunce scotus. Perhaps both are related as teachers knew of the hat worn by duns, but thought the capriate was more effective. The similarities and time period of the capriate used for public humiliation seem to fit the introduction of the dunce cap. Unfortunately, we do not have an undeniable link and cannot say for certain. In my opinion, it does provide the best fit, and after all, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition in their etymology. With all that said, let's recap and provide a summary of the origin of the insult of dunce and public humiliation of wearing a dunce cap. John Duns Scotus was a major 14th century philosopher-theologian whose teachings became popular, but then became outdated in England with the onset of the English Reformation. The followers who remained in England after the Reformation were termed dunces by the English reformers who saw the dunces as stupid people who were slow at learning. This initially was a derisive term used in philosophical discussion for a slow and stupid person who could not grip new arguments and was then slowly picked up by the general public as an insult. The connection to duns and the scholastic disagreement kept the dunce insult intertwined with school and students who could not grip concepts or who were unruly. Those students started to be referred to as dunces by schoolmates and teachers in an attempt to publicly humiliate the slow, unruly student into becoming better behaved and better educated students. These simple insults were not enough, and so the dunce cap was introduced with students being forced to wear the hat, sit on a stool, and stare at the corner while everyone laughed at them. The dunce cap was likely inspired by the Spanish capriate and used for the same purpose, that being public humiliation. Okay, that does it for the Why Is That podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode's look into the word dunce, the dunce cap, and public humiliation in the classroom. We will be back in four weeks for our next episode. In the meantime, if you are looking for other shows to help fill your head with history knowledge, make sure to check out my list of my 42 favorite ongoing history podcasts ranked in order of how I would listen to them if they all released an episode at the exact same time. You may find the list by going to whyisthatpodcast.blogspot.com or by following the link in the show notes. Until next time, make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app, whether that be Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Acast, or wherever else podcasts are streamed. Thank you for listening to Why Is That. Until next time, cheers.